Welcome to the Insider Startup Podcast, where each week we bring you cutting-edge insights into the behind-the-scenes world of rapidly growing businesses and successful entrepreneurs. So, who is behind the pod? Well, each week you will join me, your host, Charlie Stewart, and my co-pilot, another Charlie, Charlie Barron, who is the co-founder of the Up Company. That name may not be familiar to you yet, however, our brand name certainly will be. Charged Up is Europe's largest phone charging network, and Cleaned Up is the UK's largest distribution network of hand sanitizer dispensers. Very handy in this COVID world, of course. Our growth over the last two years has enabled us to meet and learn from some truly inspirational and insightful individuals who have provided their pearls of wisdom to us in order to help our business grow. We are now going to get them on the pod and have them share their wisdom with you to hopefully provide some inside information on how to grow your business, your personal brand, and provide advice you don't get in school. Well, we've got a very special guest on today uh, for episode number five of the Inside a Startup podcast. Uh, we are here with Sir John Hecate. Uh, who you might already know from his over 50 years in advertising experience. And now he's actually one of the co-creators of the Garage Soho, uh, which invested actually into Charged Up um, in our seed round. So welcome. Um, it would be amazing to, to, to hear a bit more here. about, kind of give, give yourself a better introduction than I did. Um, <laughs> and just a bit more background to yourself for, for the listeners to, to understand. Well, yes, I spent, um, I, I spent some God, it's frightening, actually, sort of 50-odd years in advertising. It's weird when you say it like that, because you kind of think, oh, my God, what happened to all that time? But um, it was a brilliant experience. I, I, I helped start Saatchi and Saatchi with Charles Saatchi then. Um, moving forward in 1982, set up an agency called Bartle Bogle Hegarty. I'm the Hegarty bit of it. And uh, famous accounts were Levi's and uh, Audi. We introduced... Uh, the British public to Vorsprung durch Technik uh, and uh, created, I think, some wonderful campaigns and then took the agency around the world. So it had eight offices around the world. And um, I left there in 14 and helped found the garage in Soho, which is, as you so rightly say, Charlie, is an early stage investment company investing in just interesting ideas, interesting ideas that need, you know, finance and guidance and help and whatever. So it's great fun. Amazing. So I think it's a really interesting story that you have going from, you know, those years in advertising. Uh, obviously, you're still kind of partly involved in creating and helping create for other brands and, and then working now in, in the startup world, funding, but then also, as you've been helping us with, working on our brands. So it's really, I think it's a really interesting story. So what made you get into advertising to begin with? Um, and then you obviously part of the Saatchi uh, starting that and then what made you then go into to BBH and, and start that yourself because there's obviously a business behind the advertising agencies which is quite interesting uh, as well. Absolutely I, well I, I, I went to um, uh, I went to art school because um, I wanted to be a painter and then um, I sort of <laughs> rapidly realized I was not going to be the next Picasso comes with a bit of a blow that really I quite like the idea of being the next Picasso uh, but anyway that wasn't going to happen I have a wonderful teacher there who said to me at uh, Hornsey where I was that I should go and study graphic design uh, because I loved ideas I was always mad about ideas loved having ideas 
and um, he said you should study graphic design but do it at the London College of Printing it's now called the London College of Communication it's in um, the Elephants and Castle and so I went to design school and it was interesting but I found with design much as I loved it I loved kind of I wasn't so mad about you know spending all my time worrying about a typeface or shade of blue I love those things but they they were not the important bit for me the important bit was what so what's the idea and um it was whilst I was at the uh, uh LCP another wonderful teacher showed me the great work coming out of New York then from a wonderful advertising agency called Dordain Birnbach and it was the famous Volkswagen campaign for those that know it a lot of you won't know it why should you but it was the sort of creation of what we tended to call modern advertising it was smart sharp witty but it was also inclusive and I saw this work and I thought that's what I want to do and it really was a, a light bulb moment so there I was at design school so I created a advertising portfolio of ideas and then went out and got a job and uh, got into advertising via that so that's how it how it started and that ladies and gentlemen Believe it or not, it was so long ago, it was 1965. I always say that was around about the time the Beatles were releasing Help. And it sounds a bit better when you say it like that. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. And a so, long time ago. Yeah, and, and around then, I can imagine there wasn't as many advertising agencies as, that, as there are now. Um, you obviously started from the bottom, got in there, and then how did you work your way up? And Well, yes, you started uh, in an agency as well. You were called a junior art director because I was an art director. And then you gradually worked your way up because at that time, you also, there was quite a lot of skill involved in, you had to understand with photography, taking pictures that would reproduce in newspapers because newspapers weren't printed very well, but magazines were. So, you know, so there was a, a degree of craft skills that you had to develop before you become before you became a fully fledged art director but you know it rapidly changed and i think what was brilliant about coming into the industry at that time was that we were the first generation that actually wanted to be in advertising because we could see what it could do we could see that it could be all of those things i described as as coming out of new york as funny, smart, clever, entertaining, engaging. And whereas a lot of people in advertising had got there through various means and didn't really like it, wanted to leave, write a book, paint a picture, start their own business or, or whatever it is, you know. They, and, it, and it didn't carry with it uh, uh, a great kudos. And we were, I think, really the first generation who changed that and it became very famous. I mean, sadly, just uh, about three weeks ago Alan Parker the film director died and I met Alan who was then a copywriter and brilliant brilliant copywriter it was people like that and Ridley Scott and Hugh Hudson who were coming into the industry and saying we could do great things with this and out of that they all went on to develop all kinds of fabulous wonderful careers amazing and, and back then the the medium of what you were working in obviously right now we've got <laughs> whole plethora of mediums in terms of online social uh, was it mainly kind of what, what types of mediums were we working on then um was it newspapers mainly and then tv obviously became pretty well, it was common. very it was a very <laughs> it was a very simple world yeah. you know you got it and there was you know you essentially you had television uh you had cinema uh radio you still there um commercial radio came in about 1974 i think um, and then you had magazines, 
newspapers and obviously posters. And so it was a very, very simple world uh, to deal with. And, and, but, you know, there were things changing there. The Sunday Times colour magazine uh, had launched. And, and it's hard for people to understand that today. But at that time, uh, the Sunday Times was a really campaigning newspaper, an amazing newspaper. And again, sadly, it, just today they've announced the, the death of uh, uh, Evans, uh, who was the Harold Evans, who was the legendary editor of the Sunday Times, wonderful man I, who I met, who was just a genius. But it was a campaigning newspaper. But the colour supplement that came out with it became one of the coolest magazines in the country. I mean, it's hard to realize that now. But it, you know, photographs of Don McCullen coming out of Vietnam, your Alan Aldridge, illustrator, what was going on with music, the photography of Bailey, Donovan, Duffy was all appearing in there. And so your ads would run in there and it would be a really cool place to have your ads. It was the first, yeah, I mean, it came out of, um, again, with creativity, technology and creativity always go in hand and what had happened is the development of a thing called photogravure a way of printing had happened and photogravure could print high quality at huge speeds so therefore on a saturday they could put the magazine to bed as they call it and print you know two million copies and have it on the stores for sunday now normally with letterpress that would have taken three weeks so they could be very instant and very current but also high quality. And that was a phenomenal difference. And so it spurred again the ability to create great ads, ads that were stylish, smart, and all of those things you wanted them to be. Yeah, so I guess that's the, the early signs of how technology then, is at an advertising agency, you almost need to be on top of technology and the new technologies so that totally, you're yeah. ready for yeah. the next wave to, to create the new. Yeah, and um, creativity, you know, we always say to people, you know, Principles remain, practices change. You know, the principles remain, but practices change. You know, if you look at the film industry, you know, the, the development of the long distance lens meant, and walkie-talkies meant you could shoot all kinds of different movies. You know, you could, you could, it could affect the creativity of the movie. So technology has always been a spur to creativity. And as, you know, the digital revolution occurred, you, you, you had more and more opportunities to communicate people in, in, in many different ways. Yeah, and so looking back at those times, obviously the color TV came out, like you said, the, the dif difference in cameras was every five years. It was, so can you remember a kind of campaign you worked on then where you almost did the first color TV campaign or like, can you remember uh, one where technology was actually the real basis of that campaign, not just an incredible, creative, kind of yeah. underlying story. Um, I, I was just trying to think about that as we were, we were talking. I mean, the big development wasn't so much, the technology was making you, or allowing you to make commercials more like little movies. And that was the big change, that, that, that it was a, both a creative change and it was a, a sort of technology attitude change that all of a sudden advertising sort of lived in a world called advertising, you know, and it was silly jingles and uh, repeated the slogan. And we were a generation that came along and said, no, we want to make it more like these cool movies being made. And, and we wanted to have that sort of feel to it. And so we employed not so much, it wasn't so much the technology, but we employed the people who were making those kind of films. And that's why kind of, you know, people like Ridley Scott 
suddenly became interested in advertising because they came with a filmmaker's view of advertising, uh, of, of filmmaking. And, and we used that to change the way um, advertising was seen. So, you know, our famous campaign for Levi's in, and now in moving forward, this is like 1984-85, very much was a stylish campaign with a kind of interesting filmic thought underneath it. Uh, and that was, you know, uh, and that's what made it exciting. That combination of <clears throat> creativity and, and technology. Yeah. And I guess back then, do you think, so I'm looking at clever campaigns recently involving celebrities and brands um, recently that have been sold, like alcoholic brands that seem to now have celebrity endorsers all the time. Do you think back then, I don't know if Levi's had a, had a kind of celebrity endorser, but do you think that was even more important back then or... Or actually, now yeah. it's still as important as it ever yeah. was. Well, it's a rage, it's a raging debate in advertising. Yeah. Do you have a celebrity? Do you not? We've tended not to. We've tended to try and make the brand the celebrity. And I always think celebrity is a bit of a lazy way of thinking. Oh, because what you're trying to do is you're trying to make your brand famous. That's what you're trying to do. So, a lazy way of doing that is, oh, let's go and get George Clooney to advertise our, our coffee maker. Oh, yeah, he's famous. And that's it. Actually, it's worked very well for them. Um, so, you know, it, 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 there isn't a right or wrong. But philosophically, we've always tried to make the brand the hero. And I think if you look at our 501s campaign, <clears throat> what we did with that is the brand was the hero, the jeans were the hero. Or if you look at Audi, it was the car that was the hero. And we wrote funny I think, clever stories around the car and the way it was that turned it into the, the, the sort of the, the, the product that it is. And that made it famous. But you can, you know, and it, and it was a raging debate back in the 70s as it is a debate today. I, as I said, I kind of find it a slightly lazy way of thinking. It lacks creativity. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And the Levi campaign and the Audi campaign, obviously incredibly successful. Right now, when you launch a clever campaign, you can see instant results through you know, technology data. You can see sales instantly. Did, did it take a little while to understand how, how impactful that campaign was actually for the brand and the sales? Well, it depends it on the product. Time? You know, the, 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 to a large extent, say with Levi's, when we launched the 501 campaign, it was like overnight. I mean, bang, you know, it was like you just couldn't, you know, you, you, it was reported in the papers and it was uh, um, Nick Kamen, who was the famous first person in the Laundrette ad, became a star out of it. So we made him a star, really. Um, but for instance, you see, it depends on the objectives of the advertising. For Audi, it's not necessarily I want you all to rush out and buy this car tomorrow. What you're doing with Audi is supporting the brand. Because the marketing strategy for Audi isn't so much, I've got to sell all these cars. Yes, you've got to sell those cars, but also to support the secondhand value of the car. Because that's fundamentally important. When you're buying a car, in the back of your mind, you also kind of have to go, and what value is it going to have when I come to sell it? So supporting that. So you're not looking at an instant sales uh, 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 feedback although you know with your dealer network they kind of knew oh people are coming in and talking about the ad and isn't that great so you want positivity around it but you're not necessarily always selling something you might be working for the government 
trying to stop people doing something like smoking or whatever it might be. You know? The government is actually, I think, still the largest advertiser in the country. Mm, interesting. And going back to kind of, you've now moved from, was it Saatchi was where you kind of rose up in, in Saatchi and then what then made you start BBH? Did you kind of, you formed obviously with, with the other two Bs yeah, in the, the equation. Yes, uh, um, John Bartle and yeah. Nigel Bogle. Did you, did you meet them at, at that previous agency? No, we, 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 I left, um, I, I loved working uh, with Charlie. He was, he was a brilliant, brilliant writer, brilliant thinker. And the way he just um, is able to focus on an issue and on a, solving a problem. And he was genius like that. And obviously then Charlie went off into the art world and he's now become one of the, best art collectors in the world but I, I sort of working with Charlie was great but it, it was always going to be Charlie's agency and not that I had a massive ego or anything like well I do yes I have a huge <laughs> ego <laughs> but I, I just sort of wanted to do more of what I wanted to do and, and you know it's like any creative industry there are a thousand points of view about it you know and you read it's like in bands don't you, you hear a band breaks up because somebody wants to go and do a bit more blues or somebody else wants it to be a bit more rock and roll. It doesn't mean either one is wrong or right or whatever it might be. It's just that people want to do things in a slightly different way. I wanted to do it in a slightly different way. And so I, I went off and helped found the London office of a, a, a European agency called TBWA. So that was 1973. And it was whilst we were there, I was there that John... Bartle and Nigel Bogle joined and the three of us became the management team of TBWA and then after about eight years we decided that again we could do it more individually ourselves and in 1982 set up um, BBH so that was the sort of you know the route to it. And you were the kind of I guess of your your role in those businesses was the managing director but also creative no I was a creative director I I was never managing director don't let me manage it you know (laughs) so so the great thing is I mean I I always think you know creative businesses it's like again managing a brand if you if you think of a band you've got all these creative people coming up writing this great music but you've got a manager who kind of helps them and guides them uh, uh, and and you know helps develop their business. There's a, um, uh, a wonderful book, like, everybody should read it, um, by Andrew Lou Golden. Um, and, but he became the Rolling Stones' first manager at the age of 19. Um, st- it's called Stoned, for all kinds of reasons. When you read the book, you'll realise it. But it's a brilliant example, I think, of how you manage a creative industry or a creative product which the Rolling Stones were but it was his guidance and help obviously their brilliance but also that that molded them and and uh, turned them into the success that that they became and and I think lots of industries are like are like that you see that in fashion you see uh, you know you hear about Yves Saint Laurent and his business partner who who kind of let him go and design and I'll look after the business for you. So it's very important that. And I think by and large, creative people aren't very good at being managing directors. They're very good at having ideas and coming up with different things and being inspirational, but they also need managing alongside it. It's a very, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, because I was going to go on to ask about the creation of an advertising agency is no different than me co-founding 
charged up with four other people. We all have our own skills. Some some aren't creative, some are. So you had a, a managing director or, or you know someone behind the scenes that might not be the face of it, but mm. actually enabled you to be have the yeah. creative freedom. Um, I was reading something you might not know. There's a, a famous DJ called Marshmallow, um, who is probably one of the highest grossing DJs. He, he wears a marshmallow helmet on. Uh, you don't even know what his face is. Yeah, that's like, great. That's brilliant. But, but, I love that. Yeah, yeah. but he, he was actually just a run-of-the-mill DJ, uh, That this guy called Mo, who's actually the kind of genius behind this DJ brand. And he's the managing director or the kind of manager of this, of this producer. And he, he's just a genius. He, he thought, you know, let's create this brand, which is the marshmallow brand. Let's put this marshmallow thing in your head and then let's send you out and let's create this, this brand. And now it's worth hundreds of millions. But no one actually realizes that this marshmallow guy didn't think of anything. It was, it was this guy. It was the guy behind it. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's great. Of yeah. course, the marshmallow as a DJ is an incredible yeah. DJ. But yeah, I can imagine it's a similar thing where behind the creatives, there's always the, the people well, that allow them to be creative. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's an important dynamic. I really do. Um, it, 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 you know, because you're... It's, Creativity in, in business is a kind of where art meets commerce. And, and there's always going to be a clash. There's always going to be a kind of, well, I think the idea should be like this. And we do, yeah, but we can't afford it. You can't do that. So the, you, you, you have to balance your thinking with commercial viability. And you need people around you that you respect who, who are kind of not trying to kill your ideas, but get you to understand how to make it work and how to make it better. So it's a, a very important dynamic. And the way you, the, the important thing is with, with, the, with John, Nigel and myself is that we all respected what the other one did. And respect becomes fundamentally important. You've got to respect the other people. Otherwise, you know, you won't, you know, you won't uh, uh, value their input and that then becomes very destructive. Yeah, and then that dynamic's really important, going back to kind of startups and, and people probably listening who are, who are running a business with a co-founder. Were there any instances you can remember of where you, you fundamentally had disagreements and how did you overcome them? And then the end, <laughs> well, the end result was, was really we, good. We always, and and I, it's very interesting, this, because you should always have three. Yeah. If you have two, it can be dead in the water because you, you, you could have a disagreement and then how do you resolve it? You both got 50% and, and you're going to hit a brick wall. So we, uh, in having three, we always had, you know, there was always a decision, a decision could be made. And we always said that we, it, we will go with the majority decision. But we fundamentally appreciated and valued the other person's input. And I think, as I say, that goes back to trust and respect. And that way you then could move forward. I mean, I know lots of businesses that have hit that brick wall because... They're just two of them, and and they and, and they can't make a decision. So in the end, they have to kind of make another partner come in, <laughs> and that way they they can move forward. But it's a real problem that you either have one, I'll make all the decisions, Steve Jobs, Apple, you know, uh, or you have to have at least three, and it's always got to be an odd number, and not too many. No, I totally agree. I think yeah, I was I was my first business I ran was with um, just one other person. And we hit that brick wall of a major decision we needed to make. It was around changing our manufacturer to a new manufacturer, which would have cost us a lot of money, but we, you know, it was a big risk. And I was, I was on the side of let's move, and he was on the side of stay safe. Stay safe yeah. And I actually brought in a, a friend of mine just to work with us for, the, for, the, for four months as an internship kind of thing. 
and he ended up just being the kind of middle person that, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, well, management consultants make a fortune yeah, out of this situation because they go now, in. He's now a management consultant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you are. That's what so, management consultants do. This, this company's incapable of managing itself. So we'll come in and show them how to do it and make them kind of make a decision, yeah, yeah. which is crazy in a way. Why pay all that money to kind of, you know? This is it. And he, madness. He, he basically was a mediator. And, and, yeah. and within, a, within a business, actually, you end up just having one of you, which is the mediator. You have, you know, I come up with an idea, big, big opinion on it. Then you've got the other person who says, no, it's stupid. Yeah. And then the mediator in between goes, oh, well, I agree with this person, that great. But yeah, I totally agree with you. If, you. if you don't find that dynamic between the three of you where you all respect each other's opinion, then it's not really going to work. It's going to fall apart. That's it, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, amazing. So then obviously moved into BBH. Um, I'm really fascinated then how you ended up getting into the, the Garage Soho, <laughs> which obviously then invested well, in us. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's, it sounds like kind of quite a different yeah. uh, line well, of business. It, it's kind of not in a way, actually. Yeah. But, but how I got into it is that, um, you know, people say to me, John, do you have a five-year plan? And I say, no, 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 I have a five-minute plan. Um, because, you know, one of my mantras is do interesting things and interesting things will happen to you. And a very old friend of mine, um, Tom Teichman, um, he was a venture capitalist and, and we just knew each other as we were neighbours living in North London and you know he went off and did his thing, I was doing my thing. And um, as I was beginning to kind of withdraw from BBH and hand over to the next generation of management, which was essential, uh, and, and I think we did that very well, I was sort of thinking about what should I do and Tom and I started investing in companies we just thought oh, that'd be interesting to do that and help them and guide them and just really it was out of that and we said why don't we formalize this why don't we kind of turn this into a kind of you know uh, do it properly so to speak and um, we set the garage up in Soho um, and you know grew it from there and but the thing that advertising teaches you, I mean, advertising is the most phenomenal industry to work in because it has all life there. It, it, it's like it teaches you everything about the need for a strategy, the need for consistency, the need to be different, the need to be daring. All of those things advertising teaches you and you see it succeed, you see it fail. You see it half work, not work. You see how bad management impacts on um, a, a company. So it's a phenomenal place to learn about business because you're working, you know, in the morning you might be working in the fashion industry. By lunchtime you might be doing something in automotive. In the afternoon you'll be doing something about food. Uh, and the next day you'll, somebody said, oh, can you come? We're doing something in the financial market. I need your help on so-and-so. And so you've got this huge spread of experience. But the one thing I always used to, because I was the creative guy, I would come up with the idea and I'd try and sell it to the client. And I'd be in that meeting and I'd be selling them the idea and this is great, we can do that with it. And you wanted them obviously to buy it. So you'd stay in the meeting, but the meeting generally would have other agenda. And often in those meetings, you'd, you'd get that sort of um, thing where the client would be going, well, this is really great. Yeah, business is not very good in the northeast at the moment. Maybe, you know, we need a bit more on-shelf promotion or maybe our distribution is letting us down or pricing isn't right or, you know, whatever. Maybe the packaging. And I'd always be sitting there going, hmm, you ever thought of making a better product? How about that as a concept? And so often 
you, you, you were in those meetings and, and all the solutions were seen as marketing solutions. They weren't seen as fundamental product solutions. And it taught me very early on that, you know, the greatest thing you can have is a great product and constantly innovate, constantly look at how, how can I keep making that better? And I, I think that was the great lesson I took or one of the great lessons I took from advertising into the garage. So when somebody comes in to pitch this idea they've got, you kind of go, why is it better? Is it really different? Can we monetize it? You know, does it have real value? And, and all those years of experience kind of come into that moment where you go, you know, is it real? And is it answering a, a, a consumer need? And in some ways, it may not be answering a consumer need. You may be creating a consumer need, you know great Henry Ford line of kind of, you know, if I asked everybody what they'd wanted, they'd have said a faster horse. And, and you know, so it's, or it's Steve Jobs constantly said, I never ask people what they want, they don't know. And so he created, in a sense, a market for the iPhone. Um, so it's a, it's a wonderful place to learn. Um, and you take that into uh, 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 the world of early stage investment. And the same thing applies, you know, we've, you know, somebody said to me, oh, John, are you just doing media? And I go, no, I don't. Why would I want to just do media? You know, we go from mattresses to charged up to fashion to all kinds of product areas. And that's what fascinate, fascinates me. I love that. Yeah. And, and I guess the key difference between yourself, uh, the Garage Soho over more traditional investment is you have this background in advertising and yeah. there, is, there is, can you explain a bit more about, you know, that Absolutely, yeah. You know, I, mean, I mean, we say to people when they come in, it's a bit provocative, don't start a business, build a brand. And you know, well, you've got to start a business, that's stupid. But, but we're trying to make them think, anybody can start a business. You and I, Charlie, could start one in the next 10 minutes. Uh, why don't we think of that, call up, register the name, give it a name, we started a business. But where value will reside is in your brand. Because whatever idea you've got, whatever idea you've had, somebody will copy it. Somebody will copy the technology. Somebody, you know, there will always be somebody there copying you. And that's the nature of competition. So what you've got to do is think about the brand. Think about what it is, how it is, shape it. What do you believe in? Um, what are you calling it? You know, name's important. You know, think Google. What a brilliant name. You know, um, you know think of all those other search engines that, you know, never quite succeeded, but, but you know, it wasn't just a name. But you know, Apple, what a great name to call a computer at a time when they were IBM and technology, and he just said, oh, I'm gonna call it Apple. So names are fundamentally important, then creating a culture around that. What do you believe in? What are you trying to do? And I do think today, you know, I, I kind of feel when people come to pitch me, uh, I, I think, I wonder, would, they, would this be a movement rather than just a brand? I love that sense of we're creating a movement here. And if you look at, back at the great brands, they were kind of movements. If in a sense you look at Apple, it was trying to change and make computing available for everybody. Nike were trying to kind of create a kind of a, a sports product where you could be who you wanted to be. Just do it, just go and do it. It wasn't just shoes, it was an attitude. Yes, you bought you bought the company through the shoes. So that sense of you're, you're starting a movement and then think like a movement. You know, you're constantly campaigning, you're constantly evolving. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, and I think it's what really drew us to you guys was the, the first conversations we had. Obviously, Ben um, 
is talking a lot more to us about the you know financials and those kind of things, which is obviously incredibly important Very for important. any investment. Um, but we had a lot of FaceTime with yourself talking about charged up as a brand. Yeah. I think actually one of our first conversations, you emphasized the up yeah. was, was the bit you loved the most, which yeah, is, yeah. you know, we are uplifting, we're yeah. allowing people to yeah. connect on their phone. But now, you know, we're about to announce the, well, we've kind of semi-announced it on the podcast already. We're about to do the big announcement and the rebrand around the up company. Yeah. And that's now ended up happening. Is- Isn't that great? And, and, you know, you never said, and I thought, you know, it goes back to my thing about do interesting things and interesting things will happen to you. Because it was such a great name. I loved it. And the charged up, you know, I kind of thought, oh, that's good. You know, I, I'll remember that. And, um, and it tells me what it is. It doesn't have to. You know, Apple doesn't tell me it's a computer. Never said Apple computers. It just said Apple and you found out. But I thought it gave you tremendous opportunity to go into other places. And, and I, I think it's brilliant you're now calling it the up, the up company, you know. Yes, and, and, and it's brilliant that and, and then you go well where do you want to go from here it, it, it's kind of it sets a challenge and I, and I love that and all businesses need a challenge constantly need a challenge yeah and I think all of your it seems like most of the, the, the portfolio that you've invested in went through some sort of brand uplift yeah. during the time like I was looking back me and Hugo were looking back at our old logo uh, and you know looking at it it looks like a clip art like any, <laughs> yeah. anyone could see that and could make it themselves yeah. whereas now we've moved on to obviously the chevrons which emphasize the up and now the chevrons are, are coming into the up companies yeah. like halo kind of brands as such so isn't that brilliant and and you kind of thought you know it, it, you, you know you never started out there but because you had something interesting you kind of could take it into interesting places and i think that's the important thing and people forget that. People, you know, and the other thing to sort of say to people out there is the point of a brand is difference. You know, I don't need another whatever. The world's full of it. So why are you better? Why are you different? And, and you know, better can be a difference. You know, nothing wrong with that. You know, you think Starbucks. I mean, God's sake, you know, coffee shops all over the place in America before Starbucks. But Starbucks came in and did it really well and created a kind of different culture around it, almost in a sense a movement. Um, and you know, look at that success. Exactly. And you know, we've got a bit of a running theme throughout the podcast due to the current times of COVID and pandemics and just, this is a whole new world almost every month, something seems to be different. And <laughs> you know, every, every yeah. industry has been changed by, yeah. pretty much every industry has been changed by what's happened. Um, I guess a couple of questions, one around the advertising world and how you think that's changed but then also how has it changed the garage soho and investment and you know has there been a, a change in terms of the, the companies coming forward and approaching you and um there yes Ooh, wow that's a, that's a big <laughs> one first of all covid you know who who would have you know that's why my don't have a five-year plan have a five-minute plan because hey <laughs> who predicted covid nobody did um so I think it's about making yourself as interesting as you possibly can right now. And, and I always think, I can't change tomorrow. I, I can't, sorry, I can't predict tomorrow, but I can change today. I can make the decision I'm, I'm making today the most interesting, daring, different decision. And that way you will affect tomorrow. And so, you know, people who say I've got, you know, who think about, you know, the next five years. It's just a, I, I've never done that. So I think that's a waste of time. I think um, 
with COVID, I, I, there's a great, you know, people talk about Darwinian theory and survival of the strongest and all of that, the fittest, I think. was. A, it actually isn't really what he said. He said survival of those prepared to adapt. The species that is prepared to adapt is the species that survives. So really, this is a moment when you've got to think about adapting. Um, uh, maybe your business is doing incredibly well. You don't have to adapt, you know. You're selling online and it's going through the roof, you know. I mean, uh, uh, so, you know, you don't have to worry about it. But that sense of adapting is very, very, very important. And the advertising industry has to adapt to the new technologies coming along. But again, I go back to be, be careful slightly. And I go back to my little thing of principles remain, but practices change. And I, I think today I would be critical that I'm not seeing many great brands being created. I'm seeing businesses being started, but I'm not seeing many great brands being created. And, and, and that takes long term thinking. Uh, it takes, you know, you know, it sounds as though I'm talking against myself about five minutes. But in a sense, what you're creating is something that's going to go on being interesting. Uh, and it has a point of view and principles around it. And again, if you want inspiration, read Steve, Steve Jobs' book, the, the Apple book. I mean, it's a brilliant example of how somebody created a phenomenal brand. Um, but I think you've got to, to sort of be prepared to sort of invest in the interesting, the soft things around you. And here's a fascinating thing, and I'm just, I'm just, I just watch it on TV. Please watch. Simon Sharma's The Romantics. It's a brilliant, th I think it's a three-part series. It's on right now, BBC iPlayer. And it's about how um, at the age of enlightenment, which was the 1700s when Newton and people like that, and all of a sudden the world went, oh, actually there's a thing called science, not superstition, that's what we should adhere to. Which was great, nobody's knocking that. But the romantics, you know, the Tennysons, the, the, I think Tennyson, I think Wordsworth, um, Victor Hugo, great artists, all said, no, 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 what about the soul? Yeah. What about the imagination? And that's why there was this great conflict between them. And in a funny way, we have that today with the development of AI and, and analytics and things like that, where people say, I can predict what you're going to do tomorrow. Really? Oh, genius. Can you tell me who's going to win the 330 at Newmarket tomorrow? Because that would be really useful, you know. Um, but to think about the human soul and, and the value that that has, and that's what makes us different. But do watch it, because although he's talking about, you know, 1780, and he's talking about great poets and, and uh, 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 artists, it actually is applicable to today. Yeah. And have you seen any you know during covid and during lockdown i think there was a lot of creativity in terms of how do you create an advert on for tv for example there's no more like big budget sets you can set up i saw a lot of quite interesting ones where they're getting their their customers to record on their behalf or they were yeah. doing stuff in the home which was quite clever i thought well you, i thought yeah is there any brands that stood out which uh, you quite liked what the, the work they did i i think that they again it's looking for opportunity and and uh, it, it you know Everything has an opportunity within it. And the answer is I can't film a big set. I can't have a hundred extras. I can't do it. But hey, you can have a great idea. Yeah. 
Nobody stops you having a great idea. And some of the greatest work in the world was done with very, very simple ideas. And the idea was powerful, of simple film, but the idea was very powerful. So it's go back, have a brilliant idea, and then invest in that. And you've seen some wonderful um, uh, pieces of creativity come out during the lockdown. And I think it's about having a brilliant idea and then executing it in a way which is possible. Yeah. A recent, have you watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix recently? I have, uh, and I recommend everybody yeah. should watch it. It is alarming, yeah. um, and I think we should all be aware of it, the world that we're entering into. I mean, it was, it was funny, actually. It was like the whole debate we've got at the moment about coming into the office and not. And, and, and you know, you read journalists say, oh, you know, I, you know, should we be going back? Is the office dead? And all that sort of stuff. And they'll always write that sort of crap, you know. I mean, that'd be stupid, you know. Um, and, and I could have thought you could, you could almost write this as a dystopian novel, couldn't you? How technology created this pandemic to force us all to go to our homes and only communicate through their technology and they control us even more now you know you're now don't go out stay at home and they're now really in control you i could write it as a, as a sort of uh, as i say a dystopian novel but you know i i think you read uh, you see that the the, uh, the social dilemma and it and it is truly alarming and we've got to sort of take control i mean it's uh it, it's it's you know again Technology is fantastic. You know, you must embrace it. You must, but you must understand it and, and not let it control you. And it's interesting, actually. I think with digital technology, it's the first time we've seen a piece of technology that controls us. Yeah. You know, before, you know, a television you had to switch on, telephone you had to pick up. You know, lovely, I loved them. You know, you know. Um, but this is the first time it is... It, it, it is about me all the time and you know it's controlling me it is really now controlling me and that's quite frightening yeah no i agree um and i think a, a point that they were trying to put across and i think there is a slight movement towards it but i don't think it's going to be very quick in terms of coming off social media mm. and i'm i'm trying to do it you know it takes a while but i'm coming off facebook and then mm. hopefully come off instagram soon those are obviously the the channels for a lot of advertising budget going yes, there, sure. and it's it's driven away from maybe TV. And if if that movement started to stick and people started to come off social social media, do you think people you know advertisers are going to have to go back to more old old style forms of advertising well, even and emphasise on that even more? I mean, there's a great view that actually that your advertising budget, and and this is a general view that it should be something like sixty forty or seventy thirty sixty broadcast 40 digital social whatever it is and 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 also it depends on what stage your business is because i think the brilliant thing with social media is that you can instantly get a message out there you can instantly start and the criticism of advertising in the, the when i came into it was that although it's about advertising is there to give you choice it's you know it's a, a democratic right it's your right to have an idea and to go and tell people about it. You know, there aren't many advertising agencies in North Korea. Um, but as somebody pointed out, it was a rich man's game. You had to have a lot of money. So it was harder. But with social media, you can get in very, very simply and very quickly. And that's its great benefit. But at some point, you've got to, you know, uh, take the plug out and go, no, I'm, I'm, I've 
done enough of that now I've now got to broadcast because you're spreading your fame and there's a whole conversation about the power of fame for a brand that we haven't gone into but it's, uh, read my book and it's all in there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> equity on advertising but it it, it, it it is kind of, you know, you, you, you need to, in, in a business, you need to both persuade and promote. You've got to do them both. And, and social media is essentially promotion. Broadcast is essentially persuasion. You've got to have both of those things going. Yeah. Amazing. So I think we're probably going to have to wrap up now. But, um, you know, it's, it's gone by pretty quickly. But a really interesting <laughs> conversation, really interesting to talk to you. Um, you know, if people want to reach out to you, We've got a lot of startup budding entrepreneurs listening. If they want to reach out to the Garage Soho, please do. Do you have, do you have a kind of website they could reach? They could um, go to the Garage Soho. The website's there. Post a question, or you know, it's John at the Garage Soho dot London. Um, so you know, drop me a line. Amazing. Well, it's been a pleasure, and thank Charles, you very much for coming on the podcast. Really great, and well yeah. done, charged up. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs>